Good morning, everyone, to our Bearing Points talk. My name is Daniel Marquardt. I'm manager in the Swiss practice in financial services and specialized in distributed ledger technologies. Very happy to have you all here in the Impact Hub. And my guests today are Olga Feldmeier and Iris Greve. Olga Feldmeier, the CEO of Smart Valor, and in Switzerland also known as the crypto pioneer. She managed the Swiss headquarters of the Bitcoin company Xapo before she founded Smart Valor. And with Smart Valor, she is developing a decentralized market for the alternative investments. Olga, thank you very much to be with us today morning. Very happy to have you. Thank you for the invitation, Daniel. Furthermore, we have Iris Greve, regional leader of Switzerland, Italy and Austria of Bearing Point, as partner in financial services with focus on banking and capital markets. Iris has been leading business strategy, transformation and integration projects and programs across Europe, APAC and the US for over a decade now. Therefore, she has uh, deep insights in processes, structures, and the current setups of banks. Thank you very much, Iris. Thanks for having me. To be here. So in today's Bearing Point talk, we will discuss the value of blockchain for the economies and whether it is a threat or a chance for these economies and especially the financial markets. Switzerland is known as the crypto nation and the financial authorities as well as the banks have been perceived to have a progressive approach to take position in this topic. So far, is that true? Or are there aspects that could still be improved? Before we do the deep dive in those topics, we will start the talk with a quick overview in the blockchain industry in general. So Olga, the developments in the blockchain space are really fast-paced. What are the recent most important developments for you? What would you say? Um, I would say, you know, uh, of course, it's difficult to, to give an executive summary in two minutes because so many things are happening. But I think if you look, like, let's say, in banking, uh, technology and startup space. So in banking, we've seen, you know, all those projects uh, on the banking uh, partnership side. They are more moving into the face of, you know, going live. You know, that's uh, and we will come to talk about it later. On the technology side, the major development is that a lot of projects are moving closer to the solution in direction of scalability, as you guys know. While we are talking about public blockchain, <clears throat> one of the major issues is that they are today, the capacity of the network is not so great. So Ethereum is moving with a new different proposal, move to uh, proof of stakes. And a lot of new protocols are coming up with their solutions. So this race for the winning protocols, this is kind of like what keeps attention. And on the startup side, you know, the major development is the rise and rise of ICOs. You know, this is a new form of crowdfunding startup companies, which is, you know, started with blockchain startups, but is evolving to different industries and to more mature companies. Iris, what do you perceive in the market? What are banks currently working on? 
If I take the banking perspective, and I'll stick to that more or less today, I think for the established players, it's to a certain extent confusing. They see something is happening. We're changing from the Internet of Information to the Internet of Value. We're not changing the underlying business that is taking place, but the way how we do this business. And for many established banks, this is a completely or a pretty new field. They sense something is going on. The word disruption is around everywhere. So this can, of course, scare an established player. And as soon as an established player thinks about it, I believe certain cases will develop, areas where banks uh, will probably not invest further or let go. Payments is my favorite example. And other areas where banks will remain in the game because it's just a more complicated business they were originally meant to orchestrate for the macroeconomic functioning of the world. But I think dig a bit deeper into that. But I can understand that every established banking player is watching what's mm -hmm. going on. Some are experimenting, and rightfully so. But I'd be glad if there would be a bit more courage in the banking market to engage yeah, more intensively. Now that we can do that comparison in a second, Olga, in Switzerland, smart value is very well known, and also in the industry so far. But just for those that are not yet very familiar with your company and for the listeners maybe from abroad, can you briefly explain what the decentralized marketplace is all about? Yes, sure, Daniel. So the official definition is we are building the decentralized marketplace for tokenized alternative investments. And if that sounds too complicated, uh, guys, think about it as an Amazon for special investment products, right? A platform, online investment platform for everything that you can trade and exchange in the form of token. And what can be exchanged in the form of token? Well, basically everything. I lately tend to say that you probably guys remember 10 years ago, we used to say everything that can be digitalized will be digitalized, right? In banking was a big slogan, right? So today we are talking about everything that anything that can be tokenized will be tokenized. So anything, physical object, intellectual property rights, shares in the company, anything can be represented in a form of token, which is issued on the public blockchain and is governed by smart contracts. And this is actually the same that banking are trying now to build up for their backbone for clearing and settlement and you know, exchange of securities, right? We build it from the scratch for specific set of products, being crypto hedge funds, ICOs, tokenized venture capital, tokenized private equity, tokenized real estate, and the list goes on and on. Iris, have you heard of banks that are already thinking about entering the market and maybe joining Smart Valor so that they would recommend their clients to maybe in the future then go on the platform of Smart Valor? Um, no offense, but no bank I am aware of currently. But of course, I wouldn't say I know every bank and every activity perfectly. I believe, though, that banks, because yeah, in the past we had the IPOs, uh, now we're moving to ICOs, but in principle, it's a similar activity. 
and banks used to be engaging to very large extent, of course, in very high volume IPOs, initial mm -hmm. public offerings. So it's actually quite an intriguing question to think about why aren't banking banks now already engaging or enabling in the ICO space because they have the legal and compliance advisory backdrop, they could leverage this. Maybe it is currently not yet a similarly high value business, mm -hmm. but you know, start small and, and scale up. But unfortunately today it's you know the opposite picture, at least what we see here in Switzerland, that every large bank is very afraid to work with blockchain companies, companies involved in cryptocurrency space, to say nothing about ICOs, you know, and you mentioned the words that you will be crowdfunding through issuance of tokens. Mm -hmm. Like no bank will open a bank account here in mm -hmm. Switzerland, right? And, and that's very unfortunate because, you know, actually there is no reason for such a complete denial, right? You know, the obvious answer was always, well, because, you know, those startups and those small companies, the way they do onboarding of clients, or in many cases, they just don't do any, right? They just say, this is the address, you send your Bitcoin or ESA to this address, and this is how we crowdfund our company, right? And there is no due diligence or KYC done at all, right? So that used to be the case like a year ago, right? But today, more and more good companies, good ICOs, they are basically using the same KYC provider as smaller banks do, right? And, and they are, you know, the same diligent about which money they take in. So basically, there is no reason for this complete, you know, shutting the door, mm -hmm. right? And that's how I perceive it a little bit being, you know, some type of silent collusion, like just, you know, banks say, oh, because UBS doesn't work with them and Credit Suisse, so we also don't work with them. And I very much hope that, we'll, that the situation will change soon. Do we see any reasons from banks not to accept the KYC process that is already known for ICOs, for example? I wouldn't say that banks do not accept it because the KYC Know Your Customer process banks currently operate with is very valid, it's accepted, it's a very highly compliant way of working. And this would probably also be appreciated if a blockchain company works to these standards, but why the industry may be holding back or perceiving this more as a competition rather an option to cooperate, is somebody going to steal business from us? And I think this is the underlying perception that something is arising. Yes, it came up with a currency, Bitcoin, we're not talking currency, Bitcoin today, but something is arising, some other competitors challenging banks and now a new technology as well. Not only you know the Googles and Amazons that wish to step into the banking space and tap the clients, mm -hmm. but now a new technology is being added to the game as well. And this makes banks a bit unsure, I believe, of what's happening. Mm -hmm. So I don't think they don't appreciate any compliance and coordinated way of working. That would probably be well perceived, but even more scarier than before, because so far it was always the gray zone, you know, the shady areas where, you know, cryptocurrencies were traded, it's not obvious who is who, etc. Mm -hmm. The KYC process or knowing the customers helps with this, but of course this is even more scary than before, because mm -hmm. now the competition or the new players in the market are, you know, catching up, they're more serious, they're more, you know, accepted, wide areas of the population will engage or want to mm -hmm. invest and be part of it, so there's something growing. Exactly, um, and to support this argument, uh, maybe just several numbers for you guys, I'll give you two examples. So, for example, the use of Bitcoin 
How many of you know about Bitcoin? Was it precise? Any, any of you hold Bitcoin? <laughs> we need to catch up, guys. <laughs> so, so Bitcoin has been uh, more and more used for, for example, for remittances. So, if you know, Philippine nurse is earning her dollars in U.S. and she would send this money back to her family, it would cost cost her previously uh, some 10 to 15 percent. With Bitcoin, it costs almost nothing, and it takes minutes. In seven mm -hmm. minutes, at latest, it's there. So, you know, the usage in retail banking, not, not banking, but in, in payments, they have no banking there. <laughs> so this is growing and there are a lot of application uses. But also if you look at the different space, for example, investment banking, you guys heard about Ethereum, Ethereum platform, right? Everybody heard about it. Well, you know, it's kind of like Bitcoin. Actually, it's not. Ethereum is a platform for issuance of your, let's say, own currency and for smart contracts. And just as a reminder, maybe smart contracts is basically a business logic mimicked in a code that enables execution, uh, settlement, and payment of transaction without any intermediary. That's what's special about Ethereum. And if you think about it, Ethereum actually developed into the major investment bank. That's probably difficult to understand, but look at this. Like on Ethereum, all the ICOs, they issue their currency on the back of those Ethereum tokens. So those tokens basically issued on this public blockchain. And, and then they are sold as a crowdfunding, as a shares or something like that. And last year, 5.6 billion was raised in ICOs. Mm -hmm. And this year, first quarter alone, almost by 5 billion. So this you know, tech platform is kind of becoming an investment bank. So it's real. The threat is real. It's, it's coming. It's in numbers. And obviously, banks understand that. Last year, there was the alliance formed also from banks to work in collaboration with Ethereum. So we see certain ways how they try to engage with the blockchain space. And they have a lot of projects that they do on their own. You have also worked in banking, Olga. You were with UBS Wealth Management and in Barclays. So if you meet maybe former colleagues, would you see them recommending your marketplace to their clients once you're live? Not yet. It's coming. I think it's a question of time. Because you see, investing in cryptocurrencies, protocols, and asset-backed tokens, just names the major mm -hmm. three categories, it's quite new. A lot mm -hmm. of people don't understand it. There is a huge volatility. It's also very complex space because you really need to have technical understanding of platforms and DLT technology mm -hmm. to be able to compare and to understand which protocol is better and why and why should they invest in that and in this rate. But I think cryptocurrencies and protocols are evolving into a significant new alternative asset class parallel to VCs and private equity. It's just another asset class. It's an important and incredibly attractive asset class because this could become you know, the future infrastructure layer of the future economy, right? Those protocols, it's kind of like TCP IP you know, 30 years back, but you couldn't buy a piece of internet. These protocols that you know, powers the other applications. So today, this is the same with protocols, but you can buy a piece of it. You can buy a token that is firing the underlying protocol, and you can participate and benefit from everything that will be built on the top of that application. So that's unique. And I think, you know, as more and more people understand it and open up to cryptocurrencies and, and those protocols and, and asset-backed token, there will be demand, but banks are today not building this value proposition, but we do. 
and we will start to be a platform and exchange rate for tokenized investments. But over the years, I think we will develop into something like a product shell for mm. banks and traditional players where they will channel their, their client to for this specific alternative investment class. Could then bank, a financial institution, or maybe we are from the audience, myself, could I be the first one to launch then a product on your platform? Of Do you course. already have a roadmap what is going to be launched first? Sure. So, you know, of course, ever since that is in this cryptocurrency and blockchain space, actually, you know, what most people underestimate, the problem, the challenge is not on the technical side. Mm -hmm. If you're building a fintech business on that technology involving cryptocurrencies, the biggest hurdle and, and challenge is regulatory solution, right? Um, and we've seen it, you know, with Bitcoin five years ago. It was very difficult to have a legal status as a Bitcoin company. Be it Xapo, still until today, uh, this company is the largest Bitcoin custodian, Bitcoin wallet. And it was very difficult for us back then in 2015-16 to have a legal status license to you know, legally to this business. And we were looking in the whole world for this solution. But guess, guys, where did we find it? Here in Switzerland. After prolonged conversations and discussions with Finma, we found a solution and Finma enabled our solution here to, to be just a financial intermediary in Switzerland. Actually, it was a big, big deal for the whole blockchain and Bitcoin industry, right? That Switzerland moved forward and said, yes, we want to have this business here. And, you know, the same is true now for us, you know, creating this market for tokenized investments where the money flow, major, major money flow goes through cryptocurrencies. Are we going to accept Bitcoin and ESA and so on, where people invest through cryptocurrencies and from there they can go into other tokenized investments. So, of course, you can imagine we never had something like that. From the regulatory standpoint, the major prerequisite is to work in a country where a regulator has very good knowledge and, and sophistication and understanding of this technology. Because it's very difficult to explain, you know, and if you, they start from zero, or if it's a huge agency like in US, Security and Exchange Commission, with all those people involved, where decision processes can take forever. So actually for us being here in Switzerland, this is one of our core competitive advantages. Okay. And you even asked for more regulated markets in about March. Have you ever heard the banks in the last years to ask for more regulation? <laughs> probably not and probably yeah. Nobody, yeah. nobody has. But of course it makes absolute sense because you want to establish the business and be appreciated and acknowledged as a valid player. And of course it helps to shake hands with the regulator. And I would also, I would actually assume that FINMA or any regulator might start engaging more into or having a certain desire or wish to look into certain transactions, come closer to the players. I'm not going to say they're going to start mining themselves, etc. Mm -hmm. But achieve at least um, a bit more of a look through of what's happening. Meaning that, of course, uh, bringing the regulator closer to whatever is happening in blockchain-related space, this will also make it easier for the regulator to see what is happening. And of course, again, take certain activities out of banking. You don't need regulatory reporting if the regulator is part of the game and already has all the data available. It's mm -hmm. a side aspect, but it's something 
I believe the regulators will move closer to the business, not only by facilitating the infrastructure as such, but also by wishing to take a more inside view, at least for certain types of business. Exactly, and this is exactly what this technology enables. So probably, as you know, uh, like what's so special about Bitcoin, for example? It's a public blockchain. What does it mean, public? Public means that anyone, you, you, any, any of us, we can go to this blockchain explorer, we can see all the transactions, all the account numbers, public keys, who moved how much money to which account, when we can look back from the beginning, nine years back, you can see every single Bitcoin where is it coming through. This is unprecedented transparency. And of course, the question is like how banking and how regulator are gonna apply that. And, and basically, like this is a public blockchain. So the problem is because the database is so huge and everybody needs to exchange the same information to duplicate the data record on their own books, servers. So this is like the transactions are slow. But there is a solution called consortium blockchain or we call it permissioned blockchain. Mm -hmm where the nodes, computers, are run by known parties, by banks, by different institutions. So the advantage is that here in this you know, permission blockchain, you don't have this proof of work, so this complex mechanism to confirm that you have a right to write the transaction. That makes the, the system much more scalable. So imagine a system in which Baron Point is running a node, startups running a node, regulator is running a node, and, and basically also the central depository, you know, that is recording the ownership of shares, for example, mm -hmm. they're on a node. So that means that we all exchange information in the same network, which enables instant settlement of any transactions. And, and this is actually what, what is so great for regulator. And this is where I think also for Switzerland, this is a big chance because we have all those shadows of the past, all this offshore banking and all the stuff that everybody mm -hmm. wants to forget. And kind of like we're moving into the space where technology enables unprecedented transparency. And this is a chance for regulator to develop a core competence in this field and enable businesses like us build innovative solutions. Now, the FINMA has already released first guidance for ICOs. They're also very active in that market, but banks are still not yet jumping on the train. Um, are, is, is, are they getting disrupted and they're missing out completely? Or should they now jump on the ICO train? Should they wait? What do you think? I'd like to refer to your example in securities trading clearing settlement because mm -hmm. this is tangible mm -hmm. and this is actually one of the areas where the banks will be disrupted unless they engage or continue enabling this kind of business. So I don't, wouldn't want to venture back to the the ICOs, why aren't banks engaging to that extent in this area? But I'd rather take this thought from the trading clearing settlement a bit further. Because of course there are areas, especially in this segment, the more standardized the products are and the more smart contracts actually work in banks. Currently, a contract can be programmed in a really smart way, but in the derivatives, if it's not, you know, it's OTC derivatives, this contract can't talk to anything. It's not, you know, it doesn't have the appropriate feeds to know when to trigger which payment, because this is partly paper-based, manual work, etc. So mm -hmm. 
until this happens, the banks still have time to react because this is not going to be there tomorrow. It's going to take a while to have mm -hmm. everything technically available and interlinked so that a smart contract in a bank for an OTC derivative, a swap or whatever, can really execute itself and work by itself without anybody else from externally pushing a button or delivering paper, feeding this into any, some sort of system. So this is the time span I still see in this area where banks can think about how to engage and where to engage. But coming back to what I said initially, maybe the more commodity style business like payments, like security settlement, that's nothing banks originally were invented for. And this is commodity, highly standardized business. Why not let go? It's yeah. not your key USP as a bank. But financing a large multi-billion infrastructure endeavor, building bridges in China, etc. Mm -hmm. This is nothing that is easily, just like that, financed on the blockchain by all of us participating. So I believe that banks will be disrupted in, to a certain extent in mm -hmm. certain areas, but not totally and not immediately. And especially if banks act as orchestrators for, for the more large, complicated financing endeavors, mm -hmm. this is not going to happen overnight, that you're going to be disrupted in infrastructure financing, also trade finance. Excellent blockchain case, but not there yet, mm -hmm. because today it's not as digital as it probably will be in 30 years' time. Okay. Exactly. And you know, this is actually also already happening. A great example um, I always like to talk about V.Trade, maybe you guys heard about it. It's kind of like project of Deutsche Bank, IBM, HSBC, and a series of banks. So this is all about, you know, putting cross-border trade on the blockchain and enabling a bad procurement and getting rid of all those paper trails mm -hmm. and so on, mm -hmm. right? So they are moving already forward there. Maybe another great example is in space of uh, payments with the Ripple and all the banks that are, you know, building up around this platform. And finally, in regards to settlement and trading, so, so securities clearing and backbone of execution. This is a huge area. It's estimated that banks will be able to save 50 billion US dollars if they implement it properly. It's, it's a big number if you think about it. And, and basically, you know, there also we've seen several movements forward like R3 consortium or recently JP Morgan announced that they will outsource spin-off their quorum project which is amazing, you know, and, and absolutely right move, because if it's just theirs, then other banks will have difficulty to use absolutely. it, right? Yeah. Uh, and this shows you, like, what is the key challenge for banks? The key challenge is not the technology. The key challenge is how do they break through this network effect, you know? They all kind of, like, they all need this application level mm -hmm. and this network, but they're kind of, like, competing entities. So how we agree that we work together, like, do we three work together and they three work on the other? Like, like how do we all agree to build the same system? How do we agree to build the, the new SWIFT? So the difficulty to find a consensus and to find the way how to kind of not compete but build together, this is a core challenge. And this is actually great for us because they agree or not agree or <laughs> try to find a solution. We startups, we just build from scratch. Yeah. You don't have any legacy system. Which put the products on chain. We can use the public, all the public yeah. source and so on. So, so as banks will try to figure out how they work together, we will build and scale, and probably later they will just buy us, you know, okay. those that are successful. So 
<laughs> like smart I, <laughs> I hear that the blockchain technology has potential for either the traditional banks and then of course for all the startups. I also hear that competition, cooperation as well, a bit of competition is in and I think talks like this are needed with then also roundtables from the different institutions, financial or also the other industries so that one can find the consensus, can build those consortia so that at the end we can build something that everybody can use and that we have a norm as SWIFT where everybody profits at the end. Now only at the very end there are always predictions about the Bitcoin price. Already when I walked in I heard some discussions and I'm just eager to know from the audience first. So who thinks currently the Bitcoin price is around 9,300 and I think 26 US dollar I read today morning. Who thinks that he will be at the end of the year over 10,000? Please raise your hand. Okay, I see a lot of hands. Who thinks over 20,000? Raise your hand. Okay, I very little hands. Over 100,000? Okay, nobody. So Olga, what is your opinion about the Bitcoin price? Well, you just said it. My experience is I was too conservative on Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. I invested back in 2013, you know, it was around $70. And you know, the reason why I invested, I never understood the stuff. I was reading and reading and I thought like, this is bullshit, like I don't get this. <laughs> and then the first moment for me was, you know, as a Cyprian banks, you know, there was a trouble back in 2013 with Cyprian banks and Cyprus uh, on the verge to, of default. And we saw the spike in the Bitcoin price. And I thought like, wow, so this has a correlation to the real economy, to the, to the banking. And it's just Cyprus, so, so several banks. Imagine there would be a war or something like really big. So what will happen with this digital gold that is controlled by no government, nobody can influence. There never will be more than 21 million. Like this is completely off hands of anybody. So what a perfect hedge. So then, then I invested first time and then I invested late in 2015, much more. Uh, which actually enables me to start this company, right? Uh, I would yeah. never be able to do it with my UBS salary. I mean, it's still good salary, but you know, Bitcoin <laughs> was, was really out of comparison. Um, so, so basically, and, and you know, back then, uh, like 2015, where was it? I, I can't remember, I probably bought like 2015. Mm -hmm. I said like, wow, if it goes to multiple five in the next year, that would be great. Mm -hmm. So multiple five would be 1,250. And it hit 20,000 end of the last year. So I was so wrong. And, and basically, I understood, you know, that the major challenge with, with those digital currencies is the first, first phase. And Bitcoin is like, guys, this is almost 10 years old. This is the most established, most secure currency. Why secure? Because the bigger the network, the more difficult it is to break it. So now, as a Bitcoin is, you know, kind of evolving into this most most stable, most most trusted, mm -hmm. not stable, but most, most most trusted network, and it grew by multiple 1020, yeah. right? So that so means. So I adjusted my uh, my expectations. So I think we have very good chance. If everything just goes away, it was going the last 
let's say five years. Mm -hmm. I think that we have very there is a high probability that Bitcoin will rise to hundred thousand within the next several years. Okay. Okay. And, so and for all I'm those actually, that don't have Bitcoin yet, uh, that might be an incentive to buy. <laughs> yeah, I think you know in general it's still highly speculative asset. So I would recommend anybody, you know, like if, if you say like this is my portfolio, those 20% alternative assets, then this is probably like half a percentage to percentage of your assets that you can easily put into Bitcoin. And I mean, if, if something goes terribly wrong, then it's zero. But if something, but if it works out like it did until now, right, then it will eclipse everything of the other portfolio investments that you ever had. So it's very asymmetric uh, risk profile and okay. payout profile. Thanks for your opinion on that. So we coming to the question round, open questions. I already received one from our tuned in listener from the podcast and it's addressed to you, Olga. So the question is, how high is the level of acknowledged cryptocurrencies in Switzerland compared to other countries? Well, it depends on which segment, on which group of people you're looking. I think regulator will probably really can be very proud of what FINMA achieved and what kind of expertise FINMA built up in this space. And if you look what's happening outside of ICO, of course, Switzerland became one of the hotspots for ICO. Last year, probably from the, if you take the better half of ICO projects, one third was conducted through Swiss, Swiss entities and Swiss companies, right? About one billion was raised here through Swiss companies, right? So that's one. And FINMA is learning, you know, people are submitting their cases, their white papers, their tokens. There are a lot of people, companies from all over the world that now wants to come here to Switzerland. Bitmain, you know, the Chinese uh, miner um, announced moving, opening a subsidiary here. Exchanges between Phoenix are looking to come here. Mm -hmm. So all the world is kind of like discovering what we did with Xapo three years ago. They are now like, oh, Switzerland is a good idea. <laughs> They're kind of waking up to this, uh, to, to this opportunity. So this is great. In terms of how many people know about it, look at Crypto Valley. Like we are also based in, in Souk and Crypto Valley. We are basically part of Thomson Reuters incubator. So speaking about financial services, this is how the industry already keeping in touch with startup. So we have the whole community, Crypto Valley Association goes. We created Bitcoin Blockchain Switzerland Association. Mm -hmm. So there are so many initiatives and I think we are really developing into this global ecosystem hub, you know, for, for blockchain. And in terms of overall population and people that has no touch with cryptocurrency, I still we are also pretty good here because there have been a lot of cases to introduce identity on the blockchain and you can pay with Bitcoin everywhere and so great. So I think Switzerland has a good chance to become one of the top three leading hubs for blockchain technology. Do we have any questions in the audience? Please, if you have one, raise your hand so that we can pass on the mic. So you say that you're not yet where you wish to be with the banks in terms of dealing with them. So your main business is not dealing with the bank, I suppose. And who are your main customers and who are the people that you're looking into it now? Because I think you have to make business to maintain the company. So I think it, it, there is something there that is maintaining the whole uh, engine on. That's true, that's, that's a brilliant question and that's actually the major point, you know, how, how do you attract customers, how do you scale. So for us basically, you know, our customers, we have 
you know, it's a platform, two-sided market. So on one side, you have all the asset issuers, so startups and companies that issue their token, which we basically create. We write a smart contract, we list it on our platform. It's basically like an exchange, but for very specialized products. And on the other side, those are investors, crypto investors that were invested maybe in Bitcoin, but want to diversify into the broader uh, space. So asset issuers and investors, those are the two key playing parts. And banking is, of course, very important component in that. But my experience working for a Bitcoin company tells me we'd better be very independent of banks. And as previously, there was no way to do it because here in Switzerland, you need 10 million to, you know, to put on the shell as a minimal capital requirements to have a banking institution. So today, this is changing. For example, Liechtenstein, they introduced a small banking license uh, last year, which enables you basically with just 1 million capital requirements run a you know, limited uh, scale, but still it's a banking institution. And so we are uh, preparing ourselves for application for banking license in Liechtenstein, not because we just want to be a bank. No, it's just because we need to be independent. If the bank tomorrow, our partner decides, oh, you know, this is too risky business, I shut down your accounts, we need to survive. And it's an opportunity. Thank you. My question is, how much do you invest in IT security so that nobody tries to decrypt, uh, or decrypt your process or the whole system? Yeah, that's, that's also a very good question. You know, this is actually one of the key challenges also, regulation and security. And in terms of security, we at XAPO, we build up like incredible security and, and the, the infrastructure to make sure that, that your private keys and bitcoins are not stolen. And I've seen this from inside, what kind of depths, technical depths you need to develop there and how much resources you need to put into this. So I think as a startup, you can't play in all of those games. I think the way forward is through partnerships. And we are just about to announce a major partnership and consensus next week in New York. We are partnering with a major provider of security, hardware security for crypto assets. And we will be basically sourcing the enterprise solution from them. Because there is no way you're going to be champion in all those areas, regulation, security. And this is a way forward for us as a startup, as a, you know, uh, upcoming industry. We need to pull resources. So keep tuned to the news. <laughs> I just heard that uh, the industry you're operating in is crying out for more regulation. And you could be of the opinion that regulatory initiatives are always one step behind. We saw that in the dot-com ladder, then in the subprime crisis. From your perspective, what could be a lessons learned from past financial crisis for regulatory endeavors in your industry? One thought that just came to my mind, as you mentioned, regulatory and past crisis, etc., could also be a question for, the, for this whole round here and for the people listening online. Are we seeing a next bubble? We spoke a lot about ICOs. And yes, we have stable companies with a good business case pitching for an ICO or preparing an ICO. But there may also be the odd one out or several odd ones out preparing their ICO. How can we be sure that this is not a next bubble uh, arising, remembering 1999, 2000? Lots of the, yeah, the dot-com uh, bubble it exploded in many an investor's face, destroying invested um, funds, etc. 
So is this also something we may be seeing? And is this a call for more regulation in this certain ICO space? Could also be in the payments, et cetera, in the settlement space. We mentioned the regulator acting as a node. But in the ICO space, do we see a, the next bubble arising? I'm, I'm convinced that not every case is a solid case. Of course, of course not. No I, offense to anybody in the room, yeah. but there are cases around, you know, the black sheep, not to say the black swan is around somewhere. Yeah. Of course, of course. I mean, the reason being that, that the money into ICO flows through cryptocurrencies. So this is kind of like people that never had a chance to invest in those companies. I mean, think about it, people from China, they have capital controls. They're not allowed to invest abroad. They're not allowed to bring out the money. So it used to be 50,000 per year that you can bring out. And now all of a sudden they can buy Bitcoin and they can invest uh, hand in hand with Ben Horowitz and with all the Silicon Valley guys into ICO and protocol tokens. I mean, how great is that? But the back story is that, well, it's not regulated. And the investor protection, I mean, it's absent. It's just technology protects you as investment. It's, uh, as investor, it's a smart contract that tells you that if you paid into this smart contract, you get that much token. So for now, and you know, I think going forward, the biggest challenge for regulators that is that to give an answer and to craft the regulation in order to enable this innovation to happen, because it's very important innovation. It's the technology is there for complete disintermediation in financial services. And this disintermediation, it actually it has a great economic benefit. It's removing the economic slack that is put on all the transaction and welfare through, in that system, needless um, intermediaries. So the question to regulator, how to enable this innovation and this disintermediation, but on the other side, to still protect investors. And, and this is connected to the other question, like how this investor protection and protection of interest, interest of incumbents are bound together. And where is the border? Like, what, what are they really protecting? Are they protecting Wall Street? And to which degree? Or are they protecting investors? And where is this fine line? So this conversation is going to be a very interesting one over the years. And I do hope that innovation will win, at least in the countries such as Switzerland. Thanks a lot, Olga, for those last words in today's podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for the questions from the audience as well from the listeners that joined in via podcast. The next Bearing Point talk is going to take place on the 1st of June and it's going to be about master data management. We're looking forward for everybody to join us again here in Zurich at an Impact Hub or then just tune in again to the podcast. And thanks a lot to you, Olga and Iris, for being here for the interesting talk. And if you now need a bit or even more food for thought, I can only recommend our website, bearingpoint.com. We have just recently published a new ICO white paper. If you're eager to know what's it all about, just find it on our website. Thanks a lot for being here and have a good day. Thank you.